morning, I have the rare privilege of addressing you as a subject matter expert. That is not common. I'm not really an expert on much of anything. I read pretty widely. I care about a lot of different things, but genuine expertise, since I've met actual experts, I know I'm not that. But today, you're in really good hands. You are hearing from a legitimate, bona fide, lifelong, certified, widely respected, well, maybe respected is the wrong word, but widely observed expert in the area of complaining. <laughs> My mother is a southern lady in every extension of the word. She is the kind of lady who, if, if you ever see my mom in less than perf in perfect appearance, it is actually a legitimate medical crisis. <laughs> I've only seen it a handful of times, and it's always been usually three days into a hospitalization. I mean, she is just that lady. She doesn't lose control. She maintains so when I see my mom jump up and yell in words that were seldom used in our house at me at 12 to stop my griping, I took note. I have a particular expertise and talent in this area and decades in this area of griping, grumbling, and complaining. Now, griping, grumbling, and complaining is an interesting thing because everybody does it, but nobody likes it. You won't find too many things in life that everybody gets into and nobody actually admits to enjoying. Let's test that. How many of you in, in your close circle, don't look at them, but in your close circle, <laughs> how many of you know a griper, a grumbler, a complainer? Could I see your hands? Almost every single one of you. Now, how many of you would admit to being a characteristic griper? Yeah, you know where I'm going, but still about 20% of the first group. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it fascinating that we all know somebody like that, but very few of us are somebody like that? This must be a very select group of people that I'm addressing here this morning. As God continues to write the upper story of Israel's life, he has brought them through the event that will define their existence as a nation. For the rest of their life, when they refer back to who God is, they will refer to the Exodus, when God destroyed one of the greatest empires of human history and the greatest empire of its day and set them free. Israel is free and they have a long journey to the land that God has promised to them. It's going to be a long trip. It's not going to be easy, but they have every reason to trust him, and the question is whether they will. Numbers 10 says, on the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud, that's the manifest presence of God, that's how God is showing them who he is and where he is, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. They set out this first time at the Lord's command through Moses. So there it is. God is on the move. They have the blessing of knowing in the day when they are following that cloud, that is God manifesting himself to them. And as it moves, they know he's on the move. What a tremendous reassurance to faith that must have been. 
Wouldn't you love God to give you a green arrow tomorrow for you to follow it around and tell you where to go and what to do? That'd be magnificent. And he is literally pulling out, metaphorically I suppose, he is pulling out all the stops to show them that he is with them and he will take care of them. Their response. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Ever been there? Now listen, this isn't a try harder sermon. If the word of God does its work, you're going to feel worse before you feel better. But this isn't a try harder sermon. This sermon ultimately is about grace. It's about relationship with God because he has made a covenant with them. He has made promises to them. He has promised to adopt them and choose them and care for them as their very own. And he is moving them to the land that he has promised them. He has done everything imaginable to show them that he is on their side and they will be his people and he will be their God. He is doing things that have never again been seen in the history of the world. And on the way, they complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Now, we've got a lot of reading to do, so I have to move quickly. And I should tell you at the beginning, sometimes you ask, why don't you give us an opportunity to respond publicly to what God is showing us and doing in our hearts? Today, you'll have that. And it'll be completely up to you whether you do it. This isn't religion. This isn't show. You're not here for anybody else. You're here for yourself so you can hear from God. And if he speaks to you and you choose to make an outward expression of what he has shown you, good for you. You're invited. You're not obligated. God is on the move. He is taking them somewhere, and they complain about their misfortunes in his hearing. And as we go through this reading, you're going to read things that seem exceedingly harsh, we did this reading last night in my family and my kids who know these stories, their eyes were big as plates. If you take these historical events seriously, they're recorded for a reason. They are a warning and an invitation to the life that God wants you to have so that you will worship him as the God he actually is. Here's God's response to their complaint about their misfortunes. His anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Apparently, this is a warning shot. On the outskirts of where they lived, fire blazed. Now, would that impress you? Would that maybe help you rethink your situation? I mean, if my mom had the faculty to make it burn around my room when I was <laughs> growing up, I, I'd like to think I would pay attention, but maybe not. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tabara because the fire of the Lord burned among them. What is the point of all these stories? Because if you've read through this section of the Bible, if you did your selection of Scripture reading this week, you're going to see that it is one continual story of lament and complaint and griping one after another. In fact, there's so much griping and complaining in the book of Numbers, I literally don't have time to cover all the instances, just a few, so that you'll get what I think is the heart of the story that God is trying to communicate, why he wrote these things down. Why is this happening? I think the spiritual point is this, the outward sign of not trusting God is grumbling about your circumstances. 
That's how it shows up visibly that I am not trusting God. I gripe about my lot in life. I gripe about my misfortunes. I gripe about my circumstances. This story, these stories tell me that we don't take grumbling as seriously as God does. I know that's true. Later, as God continues to explain himself in the New Testament, he will issue this simple instruction. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Grumbling should not be a part of my life. When I confess myself a subject matter expert, that's funny, but it's actually, frankly, a confession of sin. Because when my mouth starts griping and grumbling, it shows that I am not trusting God in the middle of those difficult circumstances, and I simply don't take it as seriously as he does. And what these stories show me is that when I choose grumbling instead of trusting God, what I'm getting is a snapshot of my heart. And it's showing me bad things about my heart. Can we be really honest this morning? We're in church, so we should be, right? Do you know how characteristic it is in the world, outside the walls of the church community, for church people to be known as a bunch of grumblers and gripers? That's our reputation. May not have been your particular thing, but there was a famous comedian who had a very famous character on Saturday Night Live a lady known as the church lady. What did she do primarily? Gripe. About what? Everything. That was the comedic hinge of the church lady. No matter what was mentioned, you knew what was coming. Everything was a platform for lament, for complaint, for judgment, and for self-righteousness. We don't take this as seriously as God does. And as I read through these stories, and if you read it, it's wearisome. If you did the reading this week, at any point did some of you stop and say, why aren't they getting this? Like, man, it, they, a whole bunch of them just died. Aren't they going to get it? They won't. And what it is, is a snapshot of your heart and understand the purpose of God's grace and revelation. He's not trying to change your mouth by more self-discipline. He is trying to show you your heart so he can change that. If you leave here with a steadfast resolve just to keep quiet and not gripe, that's religion. You can do that. And you can be like the little girl who was made to sit down who says to her mother, Mommy, I'm standing on the inside. Where not a trace of lament or grumbling or complaint ever crosses your lips, but your heart is seething. They say that about half of America's divorces end in, half of America's marriages end in divorce. I can tell you that a significant percentage of those who remain married are married only in a legal sense because their hearts have died toward each other because the grumbling, the lamenting, the complaining that is built up in resentment one toward another has killed any semblance of actual married love between those people. It's a big deal. It's at the heart of relationship and that's why this history is here. 
Numbers says, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, but now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. This is how bad the heart becomes. The heart that is complaining is first a forgetful heart. Did you see the heart of their complaint? I wish we were back in Egypt because we had what? What's the first thing they mention? It's a grocery list. What do they miss? We had fish and it cost us nothing. You remember where they were brought out of? They were slaves. It cost them everything. Everything they ate in Egypt was at the cost of their own lives. Their lives counted for so little that once a decree from Pharaoh came down to kill every boy under the age of two. But the heart that does not trust God forgets God. That's the first thing that happens. So when you're griping, what I'm telling you is it's not that griping causes this, it's that griping manifests this. My griping, my complaining is an idiot light on the dashboard of my spiritual life saying, you're getting further away from God. You're getting further away from God. You're getting further away from God. How can I tell I'm griping about everything? And it makes me forgetful. Oh, how we miss the fish that we had in Egypt that cost nothing. It makes people forgetful. Here's God's response. Say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. God sound like a frustrated father to you? This is how real and personal this relationship is. This language is here for our sake. It's not that God is capricious or erratic or unpredictable. These expressions of his heart and mind are written down for us so that we will know how real the relationship is and how deeply we grieve the heart of God when our heart drifts so far away from him that we forget his goodness and his provision. The point of manna, Israel will tell, Moses will tell Israel, is that they will learn that they do not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So when they say, we don't want this manna anymore, what they're actually saying is, we don't want the provision of God anymore. And the heart can drift so far from God that it makes you forgetful of him. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? You see, the heart of the, the, heart of the complainer is one that is actively in that moment rejecting God. It's not a justifiable complaint about bad circumstances. Every one of their requests is reasonable. What are they asking for over and over again? Water. They're in the desert. They're right. 
But the first thing that this passage shows me is that it makes them forgetful. Here's how this sad story ends. A wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp and about two cubits, about three feet above the ground. And the people rose all that day and all night and the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered 10 homers. That's almost 500 dry gallons of food. And they spread out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Havtava because there they buried the people who had the craving. That Hebrew, those Hebrew names literally, literally means the craving graves. This is where the people who crave something other than God and his provision, this is where they died. We named it to remember. They were forgetful and it cost them very, very dearly. Very next chapter, Miriam and Aaron. Now, who were these people? Moses' brother and sister. Important people. Godly people. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek. That can also be translated humble. The man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Now that's quite a statement, and I want you to remember that. Moses was the most humble man on earth. He was not interested in himself. If you've read through these story, you will see a continual interplay between God and Moses where the people get very, very far from God and, Mo and God says, Moses, I'm wiping them out and starting over with you. And what does Moses always say? No, forgive them. They're your people. You made great promises to us. Your reputation will be harmed. The Egyptians will hear about it and say that you weren't able to do this. Please have mercy on them. And again and again, it does. It happens. The man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. How are they feeling right now? He said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak out against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam. Behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because, us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one who is dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh, God, please heal her, please. 
Why is this story here? Why in a long, long history of complaining is this being shown to us? I believe it's for this reason. The heart of complaining is a desire to control. That's at the heart of the problem. Let's make that very, very simple. Do you gripe about the traffic? That's a fair, safe thing to discuss, right? Do you gripe about the traffic? Now, why is that? You want to change it. Have you ever said, why are all these people out here? Where are all these people going? Well, where are you going? I mean, how dare they? I'm here. That's at the heart of complaining about the traffic, right? What is... All things, all complaints, all laments, all grumbling, all griping have in common a desire to control, a desire to be in charge. That's at the heart of Aaron and Miriam's complaint, and that's at the heart of my complaint about my circumstances, my complaint against you, my complaint against God. I want things to be different. God is loving and faithful and good and righteous and forgiving, but I want things to be different. And there are these striking stories, and we later learn in the New Testament that these things were written down to give us an example and to give us an ins- instruction so that we would not lose hope and we would have endurance. These stories are so stunning because they intend to teach us astonishingly important lessons about following God. The next chapter. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "'Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel.'" From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent, all, sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And this is the deciding moment in Israel's history. They have arrived at the beachhead. They can see the land. They are in a position to select, sli- to select spies and send them into the land to bring back a report of the land that God has promised to them. They come back and they say, we can't do it. The land is well defended. The people are giants. We've got no shot. Caleb speaks up. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. They brought up, they, so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people we saw in it are of great height and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, that was a race of giants in the ancient world who come from the Nephilim. Here's their self-evaluation. We seem to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seem to them. Now why are they saying this? Because this is how far their forgetful heart has gone from God. These are the people who experienced the exodus. These are the people who saw the Red Sea before them in a charging, furious, fatal army at their backs coming straight toward them to slaughter them or drown them in the Red Sea. And here they are these years later safe. And their, safe, their self-evaluation is we can't do it. 
We're like grasshoppers to these people. See, the heart that doesn't trust God is not only forgetful, it does not only desire to control, it is at its core fearful. And this is what keeps you from following God. If I could do away with my fear and put my heart fully in God's hand and trust him at every point, I would be a much, much different, better man than I am. You would be a far greater disciple if you could vanquish fear and move to trust God instead. So here's what happens. The heart, because of difficult circumstances, forgets God, tries to control the situation so that it can handle it. And when those circumstances become too overwhelming, the heart becomes fearful. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. What would that have sounded like? in perhaps a crowd of over a million people. Can you imagine five square miles of Orange County? That's about as big as the population would be. Five square miles of Orange County crying all night. What's Moses doing in his tent? What have I gotten myself into? Caleb and Joshua are frustrated. Why do we alone remember why do we alone believe? Why are we the only ones who think that the God who, can, who dealt with the Egyptians can deal with this new tribe? The congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, listen, this is how far removed complaining can get you and show you to be away from God. They raised up their voice against Moses and they said, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little, and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Wow! Can you imagine a people fighting to return to slavery? No. But they want to launch a coup. Not because Moses can't get them there, but because he has. They are on the border of seeing every promise of God fulfilled. A cloud and a pillar of fire by not has brought them to this point. Every day they go out to collect the manna. It is a daily reminder the Lord is with you and he loves you and he will provide for you. Water and every other good thing that they have needed in very harsh circumstances has been provided during all this time. And at the point of victory, they say, we can't, let's go back. If I'm very honest, I wonder how often that illustrates the story of my own discipleship with Jesus. You're at the point of doing something extraordinary that doesn't make sense except that God has asked you to do it and shown you in his word that this is his will and you won't because you're forgetful. You want to control the situation and more than anything else, you're afraid. Moses and Aaron understand what a big crisis this is. Moses and Aaron fall, fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, a sign of grieving. 
and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. <laughs> you understand the magnitude of this? They've just been reminded God is on our side. What's the crowd want to do? And what does that mean? Kill them. They are going to be summarily executed for their challenge to trust God. Why didn't this happen? The glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. You see this in your mind's eye? There are multiplied thousands saying, you should never have brought us here. It would have been better for us to die in Egypt or die in the desert back there. That's how, com that's how irrational complaining makes you. If you're going to die, where's the difference? What's the difference? Die in slavery, die in the desert, die here. Either way, you're DRT, dead right there. Who cares? <laughs> Why is this happening? Their heart is far from God. They're now actually going to kill the man to whom God has spoken, who has brought them God's words, who met with God alone, whose face shone with the glory of God. They're going to kill him. That's why complaining is such an important signal to you that your heart isn't right. See, complaining is so commonplace that we take it actually as kind of an American birthright. I call it the way I see it. If I don't like it, they're going to know it. Well, bravo. It's corrosive. It indicates a heart that is drifting away from God, and it actually speeds that heart further away. What sorts of things did God say to the, to the crowd and to Moses and Aaron when his glory shone before them? The Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? Did you catch that? At the beginning of our story, the text said they grumbled because of their difficulties. God sees the heart of the matter. I'll say this to myself. When I'm grumbling, my ultimate complaint is against God. I'm griping about my circumstances, but since he's in charge of the circumstances, if I don't resolve that and quickly, my ultimate resentment, my ultimate distance will be against him. How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Dun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. 
But as for you, your dead body shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness." According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent out, sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went out to spy the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. What else is true of the heart that drifts from God and complains? It's infectious. The, word, the report of those ten men cost a generation its life, beginning with their own. Can I get really personal just for a second? For those of you who are parents, do your kids gripe a lot? Could it be that they are doing what they see at home? See, if I'm really honest about my parenting as I try to parent little disciples of Jesus, my two sons, Here's how I distinguish between my griping and theirs. I'm a grown man and I'm entitled. I have responsibilities. I understand the issues. I have a lot of pressure. They're children, they don't get to complain. So I gripe. And their gripes are not like mine because they have their own issues, which to my adult eyes seem trivial by comparison. But the heart of the matter is a heart that is failing to trust God and to look across circumstances as difficult as they may be and say to God, God, you are good. And trust him and believe him and move forward with him and follow him even when he bids me to come into difficult places. When I get forgetful and I get fearful and I get controlling and I start complaining, I need to understand that that is infectious. And you're going to see that it infected not only that generation, but eventually it got to Moses. Now 40 years have passed and they are exact spot where they began. Full circle has come and those who were 19 years old, it's 40 years later. They are grown men. They are well weathered. They have just enough strength to finally participate in the victory of possessing the land. Finally, Israel is back where they started. And the question in the narrative is, have they learned to trust God? Here's what happened. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zen, and there they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. Have you heard this before? <laughs> they quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Do you understand how noxious that complaint is? These watched their older siblings and their parents die and now on the verge of the promised land, on the literal border, they're saying, I wish I would have died with my brother. What's the point of dying here? 
Why, why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses is going to do it again. He has provided water in just this way before. Before he struck the rock, now he is told to do something different. What is he to do? Speak to it. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. And the most difficult part of the reading this week for me was God's continuous repetition to Moses. See the land? You will not enter it. Climb up, Moses. This is the end of your life. Climb up and look all over the land and remember, you won't go there. And why did God say that Moses would not enter after all of his faithfulness? Because you did not, what? You did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy. <laughs> what is the point of these long stories? Well, here it is. Grumbling is much more serious than we think. A generation is now dead Forty years have been lost, and the most humble man on earth is going to die on the wrong side of the river. And just before dying, you enter the book of Deuteronomy. If you haven't read it in its entirety, please do. It is the wisdom of a dying man who has walked with God faithfully and pleased him in every respect, right up to the very end when a lifetime of hearing complaining entered Moses' own soul and he acted in anger and disrespect toward God and forfeited his own right to enjoy the very thing he had given his life to. In Deuteronomy, Moses is going to plead with them to get it right once they get into the promised land. And he's going to say this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Will you read the rest of the scripture with me? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength, all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. I, God showed me the part of this matter, I think, and I hope it makes a life-changing difference to me, so I'm just going to share it with you. After hearing all of this complaining, Moses did not tell them, stop griping. He told them to love their God. See, that's the heart of the issue. I think I've taught this issue in these passages wrong probably for 25 years. The Bible says don't complain, so I tell people, hey, don't complain. 
And they go out and they say, that's good. I shouldn't complain. doesn't do me any good. I only end up exhausted. The people who are healthy in my life pull away from me. My kids are sick and tired of hearing it. My wife just rolls her eyes and makes an excuse to leave the house. I'm not going to complain anymore. And about three days later, that resolution is dead. Have you been there? That's my fault. That's how I've misunderstood the scripture. You see, the instruction is not to stop your griping. The heart of the instruction is to love your God. Complaining is not the problem. The problem goes deeper than that. It goes to the very heart of whether God is loved and believed and trusted because you can't grumble and trust God at the same time. If the going is getting tough, you have a choice. Are you going to trust God or are you going to grumble? And if you're grumbling about your circumstances, you're not trusting God. Grumbling is not the issue, it's the symptom. It is the sure sign that you find yourself in a difficult circumstances and your heart is moving toward forgetfulness and fear and controlling and you are in danger of infecting those around you in following you away from God. But the issue is not quieting down and keeping it inside. The issue is moving forward and going to God for grace. And say, God, I'm... I'm needy, I'm upset, I'm fearful, I'm having a hard time trusting you. Please come to me, forgive me, strengthen me, remind me of your word, show up big and strong on my behalf. And because he loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you, he will. So let's take a moment to do that just now. Could I have you stand with me, please? We're going to sing a final song, and we're going to receive our offering as we always do. If all of this has exposed in your heart a distance from God, we want to make this a time of healing and prayer, maybe confession for you, maybe resolve to love him better. So the ushers are going to come forward and we're going to start singing this simple song, I've Decided to Follow Jesus. When the basket is, has come by and you've had a chance to give your offering, return your card with your prayer request or your spiritual decision, when, the, when they've gone by and there's space to do so, I'd invite you to come up here and we'll finish this song together. There's no pressure. There's no obligation. This is simply a song saying that we as individuals, as families, as a church family, have decided to follow Jesus. There will be many, many, many opportunities to gripe along the way. And at that moment, I've got a choice to make. Am I going to grumble and pull back from God or am I going to trust him and make myself happy in him? If you're not happy in God, if you're not happy with God, that is symptomatic of your need for God. That's the issue. Not having better control over your tongue, that'll come naturally when you love him. Because I don't grumble about the things I love. I grumble about them when I stop and weaken my love for them. Father, this offering, this song, this time of public commitment is for you. We are your disciples, Jesus. Thank you for ultimately being the sacrifice that would cover all sin. Thank you for being a better intercessor than Moses. 
and a better intercessor than the priest, Aaron. Thank you for being the one who covers all sin and who invites us with even more evidence than the Israelites had to trust you, believe you, honor you, and follow you. We pray in your name, inviting you to work among us and make this a time of healing and commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Cross Points. If you have any questions about what you just heard, please call our church office at 714-848-5511. If you are nearby next Sunday, we have services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Visitors are always welcome at Crosspoint, and we hope you'll choose to worship with us when you're near the Huntington Beach community.